Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I'm Rabbi Adina Lewittis, and today we're studying Tractate Shabbat, page 125. This stuff opens with a continuation of the discussion about the permissibility of using shards or remnants of a utensil on Shabbat, either for a new use or the originally intended use. The discussion moves from shreds of reeds that became removed from a mat to remnants of a piece of fabric to shards of an old oven. With regards to the remnants of a piece of fabric, Rabbi Zeyra said in the name of Rav that they may not be moved on Shabbat. Abayah clarifies that we're talking about remnants that are less than three finger breadths in size. And the reason they can't be moved, the reason they're muktza, is because they're of no practical use to anyone, neither to a rich person nor a poor person. The smallest piece of fabric that would be used as a patch, even by poor people, is this very size. Since it is of no use to anyone, it cannot be classified as a utensil and moved on Shabbat. Rashi makes it clear we're talking about a piece of silk that tears off of a talus, which no one would ever use for something degrading like covering dirt, seeing as the cloth had been part of something used for a mitzvah. But a piece of regular cloth, which could be used for another function, like covering up dirt, could be considered a utensil even at a smaller size than this. Others disagree and say that all cloths of this size are useless and therefore muktza. It's interesting that the rabbis base their ruling not on what the general population might do in a given situation, but on those who have the most limited means and who may have the most limited choices. While others might refuse to use a piece of cloth as small as three finger breadths for a patch, the fact that a poor person would use this small of a piece makes this size the minimal measurement when considering the usability of a piece of cloth. This is not unlike the reasoning behind the formulation of the blessing over the Shabbat candles. We traditionally light a minimum of two candles on Friday evening to begin Shabbat, even though the blessing is formulated in the singular, lahadlik ne'er shall Shabbat to light the Shabbat candle. The reason for this is that while the tradition's preference is that we light two, it also acknowledges that two candles might be beyond the means of some poor people, and they must not be left out of the beautiful Shabbat rituals or be made to feel less than. Both these examples illustrate the inclusive thrust of Jewish law and the rabbi's compassion for those who may live at the margins of society. This inclusive impulse is one that can often get obscured in some contemporary legal discussions, sometimes focus more on complex details of Jewish law and less on the overarching spirit of its intent. The category of shards from ovens sparks a lengthy and complicated analysis of which kind of oven the sages are discussing, how it is situated on the ground in a pit, whether it can be susceptible to tum'ah, to tum'ah, impurity, and the position of items inside it when baking. The next Mishnah discusses the status of an item that is mukta, that is attached to an item that is not mukta and that functions as a part of it. The cases of a stone that's placed inside a shell of a gourd that's used to draw water in order to create weight for the shell to descend into the water. If the stone is securely attached such that it won't fall out while drawing water, then it's okay to use that shell on Shabbat. But if the stone is loose, then it cannot be used on Shabbat. A vine tied to a pitcher is okay to use on Shabbat. The Mishnah records a debate with respect to a shutter attached to a house by a rope. Rabbi Eliezer says that if the rope is short enough that the shutter is suspended when not in place, then you can place the shutter in the window on Shabbat. But if the rope is so long that the shutter lies on the ground when not in use, then you can't place it on Shabbat because it looks like you're actually adding to the building. 
in order to preclude the appearance of actually building, Rabbi Eliezer prohibited using such a shutter lying on the ground. The sages permitted using the shutter in either case. The Gemara analyzes the implications of the Mishnah by examining cases where a stone is placed on top of something, like a cask, and debates whether it can be used. At first, the debate centers on the extent to which the stone is attached to what it's sitting on, but then another idea is put forth. The sages debate whether any intentional act is required to make the stone part of the utensil, like smoothing it out, or whether it's enough simply to place the stone on top of the utensil before Shabbat. A story is brought to try to elucidate a ruling. Rabbi, Rabbi Huda Anasi, went to a certain place before Shabbat and found a row of stones that had been used for building. He said to his students, Go out and have the mental intent to designate those stones as seats so we can move them around and use them tomorrow on Shabbat. In other words, he didn't require any special act, just the mental intention to use the stones as seats. Keep in mind that to many, the prohibition of muksa involves moving an object, not touching it. So even if no intent or action had been taken, the stones could be sat upon, just not moved. Rabbi Yochanan has a different version of the story, one in which Rabbi did in fact act his, ask his students to do something to the stones before Shabbat. Rabbi Ami, who doesn't believe it's enough simply to declare the stones a seat, said that Rabbi told his students to go out and move them before Shabbat so they wouldn't have to be moved on Shabbat itself. Rabbi Asi says Rabbi told the students to go out and wipe the stones down before Shabbat and in that way signify that they're utensils so that they'd be able to move and use them on Shabbat. Rabbi Asi and Rabbi Ami disagree on the effectiveness of insignificant acts such as wiping a stone when it comes to classifying something as a utensil. The next sugya comes with yet a different version of the story, but helps to clarify that Rebbe would certainly have permitted moving and using something that had, with minimal action, been declared a utensil, like the stones or beams of wood. But something that's of more value, something that would naturally have been set aside and specifically not used on Shabbat, even for permitted purposes, and is therefore muqtza machmat chesron kis, muqtza, out of fear of monetary loss, that would require a more significant act of intent to declare it a utensil for use on Shabbat. In an effort to clarify whose opinion our Mishnah follows, the next sugya yields some more fascinating insights about the role of intent with respect to muktzah items. The discussion focuses on establishing Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel as our source, and cites a b'raita in which he ruled that if someone had hardened branches of a date palm, which they intended to use for firewood, but then changed their mind and decided to use to sit on, they need not tie them together or any other uh, explicit act uh, of intent, in order to use them as such. They wouldn't have to do anything special to them. Other authorities had ruled that they do need to be tied together to designate them as utensils to be used on Shabbat. This seems to challenge the position of our Mishnah, which required that things be attached to be used as utensils, the pitcher to the vine and the shutter to the house, even though earlier in the tractate it stated that the halakha follows Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel. The conflict is resolved after some discussion by Rav Ashi, who proposes that even though in our Mishnah it's required for a vine to be attached to a pitcher in order to render it part of the utensil, and therefore usable on Shabbat, which seems to contradict Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, the reason for the attachment requirement is out of concern that someone will find the vine too long and be tempted to cut it, and the cutting of the vine would present a violation of Shabbat law under the category of makeba patish, putting the final touch on something you've created, because you will have fashioned a utensil out of the vine. That's why the Mishnah requires that the vine be attached to the pitcher prior to Shabbat, so that if the vine is too long, it'll be cut before Shabbat begins. The same requirement of attachment didn't apply to the hardened branches, because there's no fear that in designating them as seats, another violation like cutting would be contemplated. In that case, all you would need to do is to have the intention before Shabbat to use them as seats. 
It's curious how here it's clear that intent alone is sufficient, whereas in other cases discussed on this stuff, there was considerable debate over the sufficiency of intent. Some have reconciled it in the following way. When something is being declared a utensil for use in a manner that's common to that item, then intent alone is sufficient. But for something that's going to be used in a manner that's unusual for that item, then a more deliberate and significant act of intention is required. Moreover, we should be aware that intent alone suffices for something we want to use on that upcoming Shabbat for a particular purpose. But something that we designate permanently for use in that specific way becomes a utensil on that basis and doesn't need to undergo the process of intent each week, even if the purpose for which it has been designated is an unusual form of usage for that particular implement. Here the rabbis ascribe great power to the role of intention, to kavanah, teaching that merely thinking a certain thought can change the legal status of an object. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify. <laughs>